we begin in the winter of 1943 in Hong Kong. A British officer is captured by the enemy. The enemy of the Japanese take him and turn him as a prisoner of war. His name, the British officer, is Percy. And he worked in Hong Kong for the last few years as a governor. Before that, he'd done medical work in Ghana, and he had fought in the trenches of France in the First World War, where, sadly, he had lost his boyhood faith in Jesus because of the senselessness of all the violence around him. He even worked in the mental health hospital on Bootham in York. See, the homegrown lad. But now he faces his worst and most terrible trial. Now in the Second World War, he is taken away by the Japanese and brutally tortured. For 19 months, Percy waits in a small, dark cell for his freedom. He waits with almost no food. His only friend, a Chinese man, is smuggling food through a gap in the cell to him. But the Chinese man is taken away and executed. So Percy waits, and he waits. People all around him are losing their heads, and he waits day after day, hoping for his release. His hair turns from, from brown to grey. 20% of his body becomes permanently disabled, and Percy still waits. When I was going through Percy's diary, his personal papers in my work, I found something absolutely incredible that Percy discovered in that wait. I found in that most terrible place, the worst moment of his life, Percy found his faith again. He had lost it in the suffering, shock, and horror of the First World War. So it wasn't suffering that brought him back. He had already known that. It was in this torture chamber, as he waited and waited with nothing but his own thoughts, that he found God again. The wait had seemed like it would be indefinite. He didn't know that he'd be set free in 90 months. He didn't know when the war would end. His wife had managed to get a wind through the, uh, the three, same food, the hole as the food went through to get a Bible into his cell. I mean, Percy hadn't read the Bible in decades. But with nothing else, he flicked through its pages. And when it was taken by the guards, he used to meditate on the words of the Bible that his mum had spoken over him as a boy. And in that worst place, in that horrible wait... Percy wrote this in his diary. I realised that underneath and all around are his everlasting arms, are God's everlasting arms. In this waiting and hoping, Percy went through a huge spiritual transformation. It was so great that Percy said even years after this, his worst moment of his life, that he would have done it again. But the torture, he said, is almost worth it. Because for Percy, that moment, the worst kind of weight imaginable, brought him the best kind of solace. He found, his, that he found the faith that he'd lost in the trenches, in the torture chamber of World War II, in the waiting for release and for freedom. 
Now, in the lead-up to Advent, we as G2 are discussing and thinking about waiting and what it means for us. Now, I'm not very old, so I'm inexperienced in the art of waiting. As a 24-year-old man, I've not been alive that long. So I'm sure there are many of you who have waited far longer for far more difficult things. But what I want to look at today is the one thing I have learned about waiting. And it's utterly wonderful, and I've learned it for giants of patience like Percy. And it's a simple and mind-blowing thing. That we're not just waiting for God, and we're not just waiting on God, but we're waiting with God. Percy was not just waiting on God to deliver him, or just for God to help, but with God to teach him something new. He embraced that waiting in a torture chamber. Because for Percy, that time trapped in that pain was a time when he made 180 degrees turn back to God. And as we think about waiting in this time, the build-up to Christmas with Advent, I want you to bring to mind what you're waiting for. Now, it may not be as extreme as Percy's wait, but I bet there are some breakthroughs that you are desperate for. Some answers to prayer that have just taken a long time and don't seem to be coming. It might seem like you're just waiting for God or waiting on God. But today, I want to remind us that we wait with God and he waits with us. So let us pause and recognise God in the waiting. That yeah, he is the light and hope at the end of our waiting, but today I want to look at how he's also the light, light with us to our feet all the time. Doesn't just arrive on the 25th of December as a baby, but he's with us in the hoping now. Okay, so before we begin, I want, I want you to start, and I'll give you about a minute to do it, to start bringing to mind the things that you are waiting most for. So that by the end of us chatting through um, the, some Bible, uh, I want us to be able to figure out how we might be able to reimagine those, those waiting. Waiting can be incredibly difficult. What are you waiting for? In the next minute of silence, I want you to think about it. Bring it to mind. What are you waiting for? Is it a job? Is it answer to prayer? Is it a breakthrough in living situation or finances? Maybe it's reconciliation in your family or an illness to end for peace, for stability. It could be something you've forgotten about or something you're so aware of. What are we waiting for? Lord, I pray as we bring those things to mind that we're waiting for, that we are desperate for a solution in or for a conclusion in. I pray that today as we go through your word, that we'd see that you are waiting with us. We pray, I pray that we'd see more where you are in that wait. Even in the difficulty of that wait, I pray, Lord, that together we'd be able to see just something, just a glimpse more of your presence in it, your embrace, your everlasting arms in that wait. Okay, great. Well, in order to explore waiting, we're going to look at the book of Hosea. Which is a small book. You may not know who Hosea, who Hosea is, and that is fair enough, because it's only 14 chapters, and it is often lost in the masses of the Old Testament. We don't even know much about Hosea, except that he was a Jewish man, and that he was a prophet within the kingdom of Israel. So Israel was the kingdom which God was committed to, 
that he was a provider for, and that he spoke to. It was his own nation. It was his kingdom. And Hosea's role in that kingdom as prophet was sort of like the mouthpiece for God. He would say, he would say to the nation where he, God thought they should be going, what direction they were going in, and how they might want to turn away from that or turn to something else. He heard from God on behalf of the whole people and on behalf of, um, of their, almost like their spiritual health. He was sort of a doctor for their spiritual health. And I want to look at Hosea because Hosea's work as that prophet in that kingdom is quite surprising. There are some things that go on in it that don't go on elsewhere in the Old Testament. One of the most amazing is that God doesn't simply just speak his word through Hosea as a sort of radio. God invites Hosea to experience what God himself is experiencing. And that is God's painful weight on Israel to become faithful. God has promised to protect Israel. He's freed them from slavery and he's freed them from all the the horrors that have gone on before them. And yet, they are still unfaithful to him and they're still worshipping other gods. So, God wants Hosea to speak that over Israel and wants to tell them, turn back to me. And in order to do that, God says to Hosea, I want you to love and marry a prostitute and who was going to be continually unfaithful to you, partly in order that you understand how I feel. He says this at the beginning of Hosea. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he, Hosea, married Gomer, daughter of Dibleam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So Hosea is gonna, is, enters into a marriage with someone who's going to be incredibly difficult. Hosea has to provide for, care for, and protect her, and he does. Yet she is still continually unfaithful. Just like Israel to God, who God provides for and protects, Israel is still unfaithful and still wanders. So too does Gomer, Hosea's wife, still wander from him. God is calling Hosea into an incredibly difficult marriage. An incredibly difficult situation where he's going to need some serious patience to wait for Gomer to become faithful, just as God waits for Israel to become faithful. This is a story that Hosea, the 14 chapters of Hosea, is a story of heartbreak for Hosea. That might seem a bit strange, God saying, you've got to marry this awful person. But what it's really doing is God saying, Welcome to my life. I've got these people that love me, but turns out they don't really. And in order for you to speak for me, I'm going to want you to join with me in the waiting. I want you to wait with me, with the pain I'm feeling for Israel. I want you to wait with me for their faithfulness to develop, for them to turn back to me. So Hosea says yes to waiting with God. He doesn't really have a choice in some sense because he's trapped by, in that hope now. He's trapped in the wait, in that incredibly difficult place. Like Percy being trapped in the hope of his freedom, Hosea is trapped in the hope of his wife becoming faithful again. So God is inviting Hosea to wait with him. And what I think this tells us is that something about what, how God wants us to think and believe, and I think he wants us almost to do the same with him today. 
What is God inviting you to wait with him? Where is he inviting you to wait with him? You might be really tired of being expectant. And again, this is not a talk that I want to give you a solution for these problems of waiting. It's not a talk about God as a problem solver, even though he is. But I want to emphasise that he is our companion in our waiting. He's not a paracetamol that dulls the pain of waiting, but he's the pain sharer. A friend who cries when you cry. So what can we learn from this ancient book today about what it's like to wait with God now in our own completely different kinds of problems? I mean, this is an ancient story of commitment despite unfaithfulness. But what does it look like to wait with God? Well, I think there's something really powerful in the second chapter I think it teaches a lot. And it's partly that we can't opt out of our waits. Hosea is in a marriage, a sacred, committed thing. And God reminds Hosea to go back to his wife, to woo his wife, to love her despite everything. Like Percy, who couldn't just opt out of the torture chamber, Hosea can't opt out of this marriage, and he actually has to put love into it. And there's this beautiful verse, these verses, where God is talking about how he feels about Israel, and how he wants to draw his beloved Israel back. And it's, Hosea is able to speak these things because he gets it, because he waits with God and he understands it. God starts with, some of, it starts with some of the bitterness and anger and the hurt of that unfaithfulness, and it says... I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bars. That's just like false gods. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I'll give her back her vineyards. I'll make the valley of Acre, is a valley of trouble, a door of hope. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope, and there she will respond, as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. That's where he'd taken them out of slavery. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. An intimate, intimate thing. You will no longer call me my master. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land, so that you may all lie down in safety. I'll betroth you to me. Forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. There's something so beautiful about this the intimacy of drawing back someone so unfaithful. Just like Hosea draws back his unfaithful wife, that God says, Look, be alert, be loving, step out, be active in your waiting. In waiting with me, I want you to be crazy merciful. I want you to be so ready. I want you to be alert. I think this is so important about staying awake in our waiting and not just trying to sleep through it. There's a bit in the New Testament where Jesus, who's the Son of God, is going to... He's going to his execution, he's going to his death. The Romans are going back, about to capture him. And he says to his followers, his disciples, who know him really well, that he's going to go away and pray before he gets captured. And he says to them, 
don't fall into temptation. Please, if anything you do, just wait for me. It's night, it's going to be a long wait, but wait for me. And he goes away and prays, and then he comes back, and they are all asleep, all of them. They fell into temptation so quickly. And this wasn't the sort of normal temptations we always assume, like, oh, we, you know, they didn't run away, and they didn't do anything really, like, terrible, like trying to attack Jesus or anything. They didn't do anything really bad. But what they did was they succumbed to temptation by not being awake to the situation, by not being alert in the wake. The enemy prowls at the door. Be alert, be awake in your waiting. However difficult your waiting is, the way we're going to get most from, from and with God out of it is by being so awake to the struggle. God is excited for your breakthrough. He is ready for it. I want us to wake up today that his love is there with us in the waiting. Now Percy, who we were talking about earlier, could have just bowed out by, as he does talk about, just trying to die or anything in that torture chamber. He could have just said, I do not want, this is the worst thing ever to happen. I don't want to deal with this. But he didn't. Instead of switching off, he switched on to God. He read his Bible in that worst of places. And through it, he turns back fully to God. His waiting wasn't bedtime, or time where he simply wished for escape. It was more than that. It was a time when Percy found the fullness of life. He found his life wandering in the darkness, where we all wander, was given a lamp where it was most unexpected. Hosea too, in this difficult relationship, is called out by God. Love, pour out your love, allure your wife back. There is the opportunity in our most trial, the biggest of our trials, the most terrible of our waiting, an opportunity for the fullness of life. God promises us that we can live life to the full with him. And in those times where we have to be so patient, where our circumstances just do not seem to match with what we know God has on offer for us, wait with him. Percy probably, I mean, probably could have felt like God had abandoned him. But right there and then, it was the time where he came closest. So no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you've done, or who you think you are, whether you feel more like someone like Percy who had abandoned God for so many years, or Hosea, who knew God was there, but needed to remain much more alert to him, or even more like Hosea's wife, if you just feel like you're rejecting God again and again. Whoever you are, whoever you think you are, wherever you are in your weight, God is offering the fullness of life right here and right now for you. He offers you to turn back to him today with a completely clean slate. He loves you so much, he would allure you like that. With a new hope, a new relationship. Hosea's wait for his wife. God's wait for Israel. Percy's wait for freedom. What they all symbolise is a much bigger picture of the redemption of our world. When you feel powerless to make a difference about anything amidst terrible circumstances, when everything seems to be getting worse, 
when the whole setup of life seems to just be a struggle, God is there with us in the waiting. And his love will never be stopped. We know that the wait will not be forever. Our God will not delay forever. That all things, however awful, will be redeemed. And that everybody who turns back to him will be saved. But the arc of waiting can be so long, even though you know it bends towards justice and hope. So whilst we still wait, let's invite God into it. Into our lives, maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time. Let's make a habit of in our waiting, taking more time to reflect on where God is. I want us to begin now, wherever you are in it. Now there are pieces of paper that were scattered on your chairs, um, and pens too. And I want you to start, and there are, I want you to start to jot things down, and quietly think about it. And if you need some prompt, there are going to be some questions you might want to answer. We're going to go through these questions now, and just think about where God can be in our waiting. As the band um, begins to give us some background music, I'll just run through these questions with you. Just begin to pray into, where is God in my waiting? Where is God in my own wait? <coughs> Think of that thing that you're waiting for. Where is it? Is it the end point? Is he in the picture at all? Hosea, he was waiting and living in God's perspective of pain and redemption. What, is, what does this reflect about your own weight? About God's work in you? How might we change our waiting? How might we follow and love God in our waiting? Could we find there this fullness of life? So this band begins to play, I just want you to keep pressing in to him. Keep just praying, simple prayers. Where are you, God, in this waste? How can I find you in this waste? How can I begin to see you in that waste? How can I even have the patience to go through this? If you just don't feel impressive or special like people like Hosea and Percy. Pray that you know God's love more. More and more. His great love and his great grace. Again, it might be something really small something that really matters. Maybe it is a job. Maybe it is an illness. Maybe it's results from hospital or university. For Christmas to come, or Christmas to be got through. For change in a living situation. Silence, where is God in this? If you can see him at all, where is he?
Okay, Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God of great love in all kinds of time. That you allure us and speak quietly and tenderly to us. And I pray, Father, that whatever we've been thinking over this little period, that that you would use it to your glory, that we'd be able to draw near to you. I pray that as we come closer towards Christmas, that just joy would overflow our lives and that all these different areas of difficulty and pain, we would see you so clearly and we would see such hope in you. That we'd be able to live in the moment, however painful the moment is, and know that you're there standing beside us. And Lord, I pray to you for all these waits, for solutions to come quick, for you not to delay. In your name, Amen.